Welcome once more to the roundtable on Dog Post. Fletcher, it's uh, Monday the 11th when we record this. It's a kind of a wacky time of year. You've got Christmas uh, coming up in about 14 days. You've got, uh, you've got in college football, you've got uh, recruiting. I mean, signing day is in nine days. And then on top of that, you've got bowl preparations for, for all these schools and uh, for Georgia particularly, Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Alabama, and all the teams playing in the playoff bowls, you've got uh, some fairly legitimate games um, coming up. Uh, what, what do you make of this time of year? I mean, in Kentucky, I'm sure a lot of right now is about basketball and seeing where the, the Cats will project. But, you know, Kentucky has lost. And I know this podcast is about you know Georgia, but since the end of October, Kentucky's lost three of four games, two of them in blowout fashion. Uh, what's it like around there? And what do you think? What is your guess as to what uh, Georgia's practices will be like when they get out of finals here this week? Well, just maybe this will be good, I think, for your subscribers at Dog Post. And I'm not shamelessly plugging your website, which I used to work for and still regularly check. It's very good. <laughs> I think it would be good to have off-the-record conversations with the type of people that you do to kind of get a feel for what these coaches are going through. And it certainly is different everywhere. At Georgia, they're trying to prepare for the ultimate um, while also getting ready for the future. And at Kentucky, um, I got to see this at Illinois and then here at Kentucky where Illinois was a a program that was terribly – it was just not well off. Kentucky has taken strides forward. These bowl practices – and I'm going to tease to, I, 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 I am, you can call me elitist now. I think it's a view that I got from you after an argument after the Liberty Bowl that you and I had where I was actually screaming at you in your car about how stupid okay. you were. But you, right. you brought me to your side in that these bowl games, the results do not matter for the most part. Obviously, there's a college football playoff that is important or maybe like the Sugar Bowl or something like that. Yeah, I, I would say, I think you'll agree with me too, that any major bowl game, and I would almost include the Citrus Bowl in this, sure. but any sugar, Fiesta, Rose, uh, now Peach, although Peach for Auburn's got to feel not so hot, any game like that, those games actually, to me, in my opinion, they always matter. Whereas Liberty, et cetera, and I'll talk about the Liberty Bowl in a second because you're on a roll, but I agree. I, I think those games matter the most for sure. Right. Like, for instance, last year, Kentucky, they made it to a bowl. That's all they needed to do. They played Georgia Tech. They lost in the Gator Bowl. That had nothing to do with a win or a loss this season. There was no, like, lingering takeaway. It didn't. There was no recruiting momentum loss from that. They just needed to get there. Uh, this year, I say all this because just to be bowl eligible is key for a program that's trying to continue to climb like Kentucky because they've got guys that they were able to redshirt. They've got younger kids that they're able to practice with during this time and develop, put those guys in with the ones when they normally could not do that during game week, you know, practice situations. So the bowl practices for Kentucky's sake are the most important aspect of this usually. Now there's a bad cloud over the program right now. It's had an awkward finish. Um, so, But at the same time, they're also trying to get ready for this early signing day. It's the first time, so I'm sure there's a lot of trial and error. I'm sure there will be a lot of self-review the day after that signing day is concluded. Um, but I would like to get an off – on the record, if I ask, say, Mark Stoops, how did this go, huh. there's no telling. It's going to be – a they're going to spin it the way they want to spin it. That's why I think 
if maybe you could get in, dig in a little bit, because you've also got that interesting aspect of that Georgia's trying to get ready to win it all. So I'm sure they're trying to recruit, they're trying to develop, and they're also trying to get ready to beat Oklahoma. So that is, uh, there's a lot going on, I'm sure, down in Athens. Well, the thing about it is, I was talking with the, I guess you would call this person a source uh, today, just talking, generally speaking, and, um, you know, I was saying to um, to them that, um, you know, none of us really even know what's going on with Georgia in terms of when they'll start practice, which, I, I mean, it has to start this week. We don't yet know where Georgia will be staying or practicing in Los Angeles. Um, you know, right now, Kirby and company are on the road. Like, for instance, they visited Warren Erickson today. They visited Zamir White yesterday. They were at Oconee County today. Uh, or Kirby was at Oconee today. Uh, you've got transition in the coaching staff, although I don't think uh, – maybe you can correct me. I don't think Tennessee has announced that Kevin Shearer is going there, but for all intents and purposes, well, I'm, I was pretty certain that he's going to Tennessee. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts right now that you only in the past had to deal with after the bowl games. So that's the big thing Kirby's been talking about in his appearances is that this stuff used to matter a lot after the bowl games. And the only team that occasionally would have to worry about this to some degree would be the two teams playing for the national championship, which in the last two years have been Alabama and Clemson. Uh, Clemson uh, has not had the turnover that Alabama has, but Alabama's had, and Alabama's had quite a bit. And now you're seeing at Georgia, it appears there will be at least some turnover. And so you just stir that pot, Fletcher. And the problem is, you know, I'm sure the kids, in fact, I do know that the kids know their schedule to some degree, um, but everybody else around, I mean, we don't, we don't know what's going on yet, and um, the kids are getting through finals. Uh, finals end at Georgia uh, Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken, and then, uh, you know, Georgia, if they, should they play in the national championship game? would have already had, I think, two days of classes. So it, it makes for an interesting time, this four-month, four-week period. And by the way, you know, we're only nine days away from signing day. I mean, signing day is the 20th, uh, so two Wednesdays from now. And um, it's just it's just a – I'll say this. This is the most important postseason Georgia has had in, in recent memory, clearly. Because all the other times that their teams were this good or the teams won the conference, they didn't have a playoff for them to get into. In 2005, 2002, 2004, excuse me, 2002, 2005, 2007, 2012, this opportunity was not necessarily there, even though in some of those cases they won the conference. So they just turned and burned, went on, tried to win the Sugar, and, and took it from there. Like crazy. And recruited like crazy, and that was with Mark. This situation is different. Now, Mark in Miami is dealing with, I would say, a pretty important game for Miami because they've lost two in a row. For Georgia, it's obviously a very important game because of the ramifications. A, you're playing in the Rose Bowl. B, you have the chance to win the national championship. I will, uh, let me just uh, rewind to this time last year. You were you were not at the um, you were not at the Liberty Bowl. I was there though the day before because Kentucky was That's playing correct. the Miss. So. And the, the, the year before that was the super weird bowl, super strange. Flush it down the toilet the second the, the result was over, Gator Bowl. 
And that, that was probably the strangest game I've ever been to because nothing mattered. Uh, this, everything matters completely. There is no preparing for the future. So this time last year, you know, Georgia was – I think they kind of needed to win that game because of the way they lost to Georgia Tech. You had so much momentum, and then you lost it. And, you know, I think it really did sort of matter in that particular time because it's, hey, can this guy, you know, can this guy win Kirby in uh, bowl games? Can he, you know, take a month and get ready for a team? Uh, Last year mattered. I don't know if it felt that way to you when we were in Memphis or in Oxford. Do, Do you recall that conversation or those conversations? Yeah, see, I, I, I think that I felt that development was more important last year than anything else than the bottom line. Okay. No question. But certainly, if, you, if anytime you have a freshman quarterback, then every game matters, obviously. Every rep does. So I try not to be too elitist or diminish it too much, but I just don't think that TCU game really means anything now. No, it, I don't think it necessarily did, and I don't think it changed anyone's mind. But um, it was just—it. I think it, I think it mattered. It almost always matters in that moment. And then, as like soon friend, as it's over, it's done. It's done. Like when Tech and Georgia play basketball this time next week on Tuesday next week. I mean. That's probably a bad analogy because in that game, you know, the future is still ahead of you for the basketball program at Georgia. Uh, that game probably will matter in March for them. Hey, Dean, you, um, leave, the, you leave the bad analogies to me. Yeah. Um, I just think it's a curious – I mean, it's not exclusive to me to think this is a curious time. Um, and then you've got decisions to be made about guys leaving. I mean, there could be people transferring. You know, Roquan Smith – I think has to leave, but you keep hearing things bubbling under the surface about, is this guy going to stick around? Um, So there's all sorts of moving parts and this team will get together, you know, on Christmas night in Athens and make their way to uh, Pasadena with everything on the line. And it couldn't be more different than it has been these last two years with a, you know, lame duck coaching staff in 15 and in 16 with, um, you know, traveling to the Liberty Bowl, a game of, of almost no consequence at all. Certainly. All right. So recruiting has been December's, and it still is, I'm sure. Um, but it's just, and two, I don't know if you mentioned this, but if you've got family, you want to be able to do some things <laughs> around Christmas. <laughs> so I'd say that's probably where the sacrifice is. Certainly is. It is. I'm you know, sure. I... I don't know how people like me are supposed to really have Christmas. I mean, Wes and I will be in Los Angeles on the 26th, which obviously is not Christmas. But, you know, typically Christmas for us in the past has been you open gifts on the 24th uh, after, you know, in the afternoon or evening. Santa Claus comes in the morning. And then Christmas, you either are driving to see grandma or, you know, in my newfangled world, you know, dealing with in-laws. Um, but we, we always had it to where, you know, 24, 25, 26 were always days that you could kind of count on not having to, to worry or do anything. It looks like to me right now that the, you know, the situation at Georgia is you, you, be, you pretty much get Christmas Eve and perhaps the day before. Well, I mean, there's no, you don't want to be 
you're at two ends of the spectrum. Either you're in the Independence Bowl and you're reporting to Shreveport on Christmas Day. Which I can report to you is awful. Certainly. And then, <laughs> or you're, you're about to make, potentially, you know, you're going to play for a national title and you're reporting the day after Christmas. So, uh, me personally, Kentucky plays uh, basketball in New Orleans on the 23rd. So, I'll be spending Christmas Eve in New Orleans or traveling back from New Orleans. So, that's just the way it goes this time of year for people playing sports and for us people covering sports. And Kentucky plays Louisville what day? The 27th? So they got Virginia Tech this Saturday, uh, UCLA next Saturday, then Louisville on that next Friday, and then they turn around and immediately play Georgia on Sunday. So the 29th, Georgia, uh, Louisville plays Kentucky heading into the Sun Bowl. That will CBS will, will push that through to lead into their Sun Bowl coverage. And then Georgia, Kentucky at 6 o'clock on ESPN. I guess leading into... What game is that night? I'm not sure, but there's got to be something. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky basketball is leading into some serious, uh, you know. Now's the time. Ball game, you know, stuff. Oh, well, yeah, certainly. And I think it played out. I think really what they were wanting was an ideal for, for CBS. And I had. I've talked to some of their spokespeople about this because it is odd to schedule a rivalry game for Friday at 1 p.m. on the same day as both Louisville and Kentucky are playing in their bowl games. But I think, ideally, Louisville would have been in that Sun Bowl, which would have given you a, ba- a double header of Kentucky-Louisville basketball leading into right. Louisville Sun Bowl. But that's not the way that the bowl games shook out. But it, I guess it really doesn't matter to, to CBS. They got their marquee lead in, and then the bowl game is, is whatever it is. The, the, the ball game, for, for I mean, I would say no one cares, but I can assure you everyone who's listening to this will likely watch that game. Uh, the 29th, CBS will present the Hyundai Sun Bowl at 3 p.m. in El Paso between NC State and Arizona State. Now, the Georgia-Kentucky basketball game lead-in, I'm somehow missing – games on new year's eve i i don't know if that's just me not being able to read but there might not be a game that night man i mean the fiesta and the orange are on the 30th and the cotton is on the 29th so i i don't think there is a new year's um bowl game on espn well i can tell people about how my elitist view of olds was formed it was uh it all happened in a car in Tunica. <laughs> <laughs> there are no bowl games on the 31st, amazingly. Go ahead. Well, I think around that time, obviously I was really young. Um, so what, 22, 23. And it, I think it's really easy to be, everything is so definitive, especially now, where like every game is just like the up against the wall, it feels like, you know, sometimes. It felt like it then with Mark and them. Well, I think that you and I got into it. A, you know, here's the, here's the truth. I went down on the field during that. The game was awful. It was the worst football game yeah. I think I've ever it was ten, watched. 10-6, to six, really nasty and game. And there, there was an issue there where Georgia – so Georgia loses to Central Florida. Um there was a there was a time down on the goal line where they they ran three yeah. plays, could not run the ball against Central Florida, <laughs> which I thought was a huge indictment. 
and then they, they Mark Rick kicked a field goal from the one or the two, and I'm but, sitting here going, come on. There were three NFL football players on that offensive line. Well, and so I'm and that are still in the league, bro. But anyway, but this is all coming off of a really bad season. Yeah, well, losing season. Well, that made it a losing season, right? Yeah. So I, I think that I was trying to say, and now during so during the middle of this game, I go down on the field. It's terrible. Nobody wants to be there. I'm just going to be straight with you. I had really red hair at the time, and there was a lot of it. I had the mop hair still. My hair has since. <laughs> kind of shifted to a more auburn phase of its you know evolution which is good for me and my of its, of its, of its essence and my self-esteem but some drunk guy yelled at me and called me ron weasley during that game that really has nothing to do with our argument but i i was shaken i'll be honest myself i was a little bit shook after that game <laughs> after that game i believe we went to a casino uh, I believe we did. We did. I did. I did. Um, I Cocaine. Did, I did okay at the blackjack. <laughs> I drank as as many beverages as I possibly could because I was not driving. Right. And I felt you were being dismissive of what that represents. So we get back in the car, and it's you and me and Wes. Dismissive of the law. So I was trying to say, man, how terrible is it that you can't get in the end zone from the one against Central Florida. Like, you can't open up a hole. Now, I understand that it was Washon Ely and Caleb King that you're running the ball for the most part. Maybe Richard Samuel. I can't remember. And, and, and Sean Chappis did not play in that game. Yeah, so I was just – I just felt like it was a it was a bad sign. I was like, this is going bad. And, you, and I will say that I feel like I was a little justified because if you'll remember, one of those NFL players failed a drug test stemming from that, from that Who, whole bowl time. People are having a good – yeah. Justin Houston? He failed his test at the combine. That's right. So anyway, I'm just sitting here thinking, and you're just shooting it down. Like, you're like, this doesn't matter. Like, this doesn't right. have anything to do with next season. Uh, this season was already, a, you know, only a six-win year. Who cares? Um, it'll be bad for a couple days, and then they'll go to recruiting, which they started recruiting. They got Malcolm Mitchell a couple days after that, and Jay Rome, and on and on and on, and, and Isaiah ended up, and Ray Drew, and all those guys came aboard. So you were right. It didn't matter. They didn't get stunted in recruiting, um, and then they went on to win the East uh, two years in a row. Well, so, they went, right, they went on to win uh, like 23 of their next 27 games or something like but that. But that didn't change the fact that I did end up yelling at you Oh yeah. for miles down the road just about how dismissive you were of it. So I, I do think there's a balance to it. it. It doesn't have to be the definitive, like you didn't have to win the game or you didn't have to whatever. And, and also... But you still, it'd be nice if you could run the ball against Central Florida. Which, I shouldn't be so dismissive of Central Florida because they had an undefeated season. But, you know, whatever. This year, at, at not the then. Yeah, uh, not yeah. then. They were not this Central Florida. They this were ranked. They, they, I mean, they've, been, they've, been, they've won a fiesta, haven't they? Yeah, I don't know why I was so dismissive of it. I just thought an SEC team should be able to score from the one, and I got they, really irate in the car about it. They should. There were several points that you you're, – you're, your um, four foot view was correct, but my, but I, and I wasn't. What I was saying to you was, hey, look, you're, you know, you're right about the four foot view, but it doesn't matter because the forty thousand foot view, if they don't get Isaiah Crowell, this thing is over. And right. as it turns out, 
you know, they got him and it wasn't over, he helped them get where they needed to go. He was not exclusive to the reason. I mean, there were three things changed dramatically. And this was kind of my point. I had like a 10-minute off-the-record conversation after that game with Todd Grantham. And and the, the, the biggest thing, and this wasn't what Todd said, but the biggest thing that changed was uh, Jarvis Jones. Right. In, in order, it was probably Jarvis, Isaiah, and John Jenkins. All three of those things were missing parts. They were things that Georgia needed for what they were trying to do and didn't have. So I was just kind of saying, hey, you know, you got you can't take this too too seriously. Totally. And just the same as me. Like I did look like Ron Weasley that night. Okay. But I the years following that, I really blossomed. I think I started I cut my hair short, started using product. Things were changing. And so, you know, I think the long the long term view was I mean, Mark Richt had that things changed dramatically from what the end of Stafford and Moreno's run. Those two years were really awkward. There was a lot of transition going on on the defensive side of the ball, and yeah. like you said, they they were you could see it being plugged in that day uh, at the Liberty Bowl. You knew what they needed to have, and they were assembling that. I just in that moment of Miller Light, and you know, you always can find a way to make me upset. Uh, I was a little I, bit irate, but I've since matured, Dean. They also, by the way, I, they did have Justin Houston on that team, so they weren't exactly missing everything. But they just weren't – that was a team in transition, a lot like last year's team was right. with these just sort of inexplicable losses. I mean, in, in 10, you you didn't have your best player for almost half the season with A.J. Green. With four, four well, you know of whose the, fault that was. So you had that. And man, you just stepped right over that. I put the bait was, out there for you. Didn't take. It. I don't even care. Um, it 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 was a time of transition, much like last year. I mean, in ten, I'm not sure how many inexplicable losses they had in ten. I mean, the loss to Colorado. And that was, yeah, Arkansas was weird. Arkansas was a good team. Yeah, but it was the, you know, Georgia had the possession at the end of the game to, with a chance to win. Uh, yeah. They had possession at the end of the Colorado game. Should have won. Mississippi State, they had momentum. Oh, man, that was an awful game. That, that, that was when it was – I think that probably was rock bottom. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty bad, um, generally speaking. And, you know, they had lost a, a decent South Carolina team, a team that, that went on to win the East in one of the worst years ever for the East. And you want to talk about the East is down. Nothing's down compared to 2010. I mean, that, that was a horrible time in the league in the East. Uh, six and seven Georgia beat Tennessee forty-one to ten. So um, uh, anyway, I mean you're in a very different moment right now. Um, you look around and you say, well, what does Georgia need? Uh, and the answer is typically not a lot. I mean, they're moving from needing to just wanting. What does Georgia want? Because they've got their needs addressed fairly well to this point. I understand it's not a finished product, but damn. What- it's not, and you know, I'll just say that. I mean, I'm going to talk about Chad Simmons here for a little bit because I mean, I've worked with him for so long. It's one of the first times in almost a decade that that Chad and I have not been on the same team uh, heading into a signing day. It's it's just everything's in transition because for us too, because you know, with this being in December, you know, if this were in January, it would have a very different feel to it, or February. But I just remember all the nights. Not nights, but all the days and some nights where you're sitting there going, hey, 
you know, this is moving right now. This could be moving right now with Georgia and a particular kid or several different kids. And, you know, it's hard running up to the final days of recruiting. I will say this, though, too. It does seem to me like Georgia is going to pull off not just some kids, but top 100 kids here at the end. I mean, you start talking about Jamari Saylor. Uh, I think he's been headed to Georgia for some time. Trey Hill, of course, I can't know for certain that he's going to pick Georgia, but all the indications are that he is. That would add two uh, uh, top 100 kids to the five they already have. And then you start looking up and down the board and you say, well, you know, are they going to pull in, you know, X? Is it possible for them to get Brenton Cox? Is it pro- I mean, it's starting to look that way. So the sort of wild times of the past, Georgia has seen, seemingly to me, Kirby and them have taken recruiting and boiled it down. There's, they're not going all over the world for things. There's no um, – who just kind of randomly committed to Georgia at the end? Uh, there was a kid that picked Georgia over West Virginia. And Georgia's staff was extremely excited about it at the time. He just—he didn't. It sounds bad. It just didn't matter. He wasn't a guy that that really mattered for Georgia. And um, I think if they get the guys, I think they're going to get here late, Fletcher. These last six kids—they're mm-hmm. going to be six kids that matter. And um, I think they've planned it this way. They've probably known about uh, Sailor for some time. For some time, Hill, uh, I think they probably were a little bit nervous heading into the stretch run here. But when you've already started, when you start with Zamir and um, Justin Fields, that's a pretty good start. But they may finish with, it's it's not, it's possible, I don't know if it's likely to finish with nine top 100 guys, but it would be quite a few. And, and for the record, too. This, t- this this class is not as good as last year's, I don't think, and won't be as good as um, next year's. But I do think the top of it is better than either of those. I mean, because, I mean, Zamir White's the best football player I've seen play a high school football game. Well, that's high praise. Yeah, he's quite good. And I'm trying not to go overboard with it. Just Obviously because, coming off the injury. Well, just because I'm trying not to go overboard with it, period. And then you've got the injury. But anymore, I mean, these kids are like titans. I mean, they can just get out there, and it seems like an ACL doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah, a couple things. I mean, obviously, Georgia. Are, I'm just looking at the SEC teams ranked. Uh, Georgia has the number one class in the conference currently, and they also have the number two class in terms of average rating of player. Correct. Uh, behind just Alabama, so I think that kind of speaks. And once you get to 18, if you've got 18 commits and your average is where Georgia's is, it's pretty strong. And like you said, once you're once you get to this point in your class and you're being really selective, you understand that that average rating is probably going to stay or go up, likely go up as you add these kids you're talking about, top 100 type players. So I should also, answer, I mean, Channing Tindall, I think, is going to go to Georgia as well. He's another top 100 guy. I think I think the likelihood of Hill, Tindall, and um, Saylor is well more than 50%, and that would put you over, you know, if I'm not mistaken, that would put you over five guys, over, uh, well over five guys, top 100 guys. And top 100 guys are what makes it matter, make, makes the difference. Right. So, you know, Georgia, Auburn, here's the SEC standings in terms of recruiting right now. Uh, Georgia and Auburn are 1-2, Alabama, 
Uh, Georgia and Auburn, by the way, have 18 commits, and Alabama has 14 pledges. So we'll see how the how they finish. Uh, LSU is fourth, so I guess Coach O over there is doing what he's supposed to do. But the thing is, obviously, LSU's average rating is behind Texas A&M. So I know this is we get pretty inside with it, but it's not enough to just have a you know this the most overrated thing to me is when people say, well. Uh, Mark Richt had a top 10 class every year. Huh. I was like, yeah, but uh, five of the schools ahead of him were in the SEC. So I know that it can be a little bit, um, you know, a little bit of a labor to try to make these points. But so like if you're LSU, you got to feel good about 20 commits, but Georgia, Auburn, Alabama, Texas A&M, Florida, those schools all have a higher average rating per player than LSU. So – these things matter. Look, Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama have separated themselves over these last couple of recruiting cycles. And 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 what Ohio State specifically, I mean, Ohio State's gonna you know, if you're if you're looking at twenty four seven, Ohio State is gonna win the number. I mean, they're 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 just too far and away. But there's only two programs out there that have more than two five-star players, and that's Ohio State and Georgia. Uh, Alabama does not have any currently. Now they will. What's happening right now with what Kirby is doing versus almost any other time with Mark is that um, the high level uh, doesn't stop just at the high. And, And it is, I mean... It has been a significant achievement in loading up this program. Georgia is the most talented it's ever been as it stands today. I wrote about that coming into the season. It's factually correct. This isn't just me saying it or whatever. If you go by the numbers of the recruiting services, for the record, don't don't give a shit. I mean, someone has to quantify this in some way. And people who poo-poo recruiting rankings and all that stuff, I would basically respectfully say, um, how else are they supposed to be, you know, determined by playing tiddlywinks? I mean, people who do this for a living, of which I would include myself in, uh, we go out and watch kids play. We, We drive four hours round trip. Usually that's, a short trip to watch kids play. We see them. I don't rank kids, but I know who they are. I mean, Zamir White is not does not live close to where I do, and I went to see him three times. So I, I feel pretty comfortable in my assessment of him or when I saw Aaron Murray play live or when I saw Zach Mettenberger much closer or enter the name of whoever. Um, so these are these metrics do matter. They matter because um, – Pretty much they bear out. Now, I will say this, too. I think Clemson has done – the one thing Clemson has yes. done more than anybody else, in my opinion, okay, they're not great. They're not elite, elite recruiters. I mean, if you look at their 2017 class, now part of what happened with Clemson was they are kind of handcuffed, didn't have a bunch of guys, but they have developed better. They've had, very, they've had two very good years of development. Up there. I mean, for instance, in 17, they didn't even, if this is right, 
they they didn't even have a top 50 class. Is that that cannot be quite right? No, yeah, they were 16. Excuse me, I, I skipped them. And then in 16, I think they weren't super high there either. They were 11. So uh, what I would say is, at some point in the future, these small classes are going to come back and get them. But they have managed to appear in the playoff three times with some classes that aren't so hot. Some of that's maybe the league they play. I mean, a lot of that is the league that they play. You're heading down a wormhole. But they have got to be given credit. I mean, they have developed very well, okay, over time. And they've done a very good job. Whereas Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, I guess Oklahoma, um, they they have gotten the kids. They have gotten the kids. And I think that's what's going to separate – Alabama, Ohio, Georgia, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama in the future from their peers in their conference, maybe not nationally, but their peers in their conference, Alabama and Georgia, they have a noticeable talent advantage currently. Now we'll see if it continues, but as it stands today, they've just out recruited the rest of the SEC these last couple of classes. Long rant, sorry. No, I mean it's it's the key. I think recruiting and strength and conditioning are the two most important aspects of every program. So you can never spend enough time talking about this. I know a lot of people say around this time they say, "Well, just let me let's just talk about them when they get to campus." And I'm like, "Well, it's too late by then." You know, like if you if you take that approach, then I think you're lazy. But whatever. If you if you don't get them to campus, you, you're going to have a problem. And, and the other thing, too, I mean, Ohio State has had a little bit of this, but, I mean, Clemson really is the shining example. You can't sign 14 kids. And right now Clemson has 12. I, I'm expecting them to sign more. Yeah, I and guess. also, though, to you your can't point. Sign, that, that's really small. But you can't sign 33 kids and no. it be a low average no. per. No, you can't. You have to – You have to appropriately recruit, which is to say that um, if you're signing 30, you got a problem. If you're signing 15, you got a problem. There's problems in both ways. I'm down uh, with signing 30 if your average per is like 91 to 93. But that's very hard to do if you're signing 30. No, it just doesn't happen. I mean, Mark and them have done a very good job this year at Miami. Texas, it appears, is doing a pretty good. Texas is on a good track. Sure. But and if you look at, I mean, all Georgia should worry about is what's happening in the SEC. There's not an SEC East team until number six right. after Georgia. And, I mean, Georgia already has an advantage in terms well, of talent over, over the Gators and Carolina <laughs> and you know whoever else. It's not getting better right, right now. Well, I, I saw a lot of people uh, here in Kentucky that were sort of saying that whole, oh, the SEC East is down. Well, the, the East won the SEC and is in the playoffs. Oh, and I said, well, no, the East, no, no, the East did not do that. Georgia did that. Okay, so it's kind of <laughs> like when you say, well, Georgia's not in the playoff. You know, you want Alabama to win, win it all for the SEC. And I understand that. There's a lot of pride. There is a selling point of sorts to conference prestige in terms of recruiting. That has, played, that has done Kentucky well. When they are recruiting in Ohio, they have not, to my knowledge, Kentucky has not gotten a kid that has an from Ohio, um, which is where they get most of their kids that had an offer from Ohio State. But there is a significant advantage for Kentucky 
selling the SEC when they're going up against programs like Illinois and Minnesota who cannot sell. There's no comparison. So it helps for some, but... But it, but for but when you start to put it all together, and you're and if you're a Kentucky person, and you're like, oh, I'm taking great pride in Georgia here, and then you go, well, look at these recruiting rankings. Let's see here. There's a really wide gap between Georgia and the rest of the East. And if you look at these recruiting rankings, that gap is on par with what we saw on the field last season, which would lead you to believe, which would lead you to say that the East will stay down and Georgia will not. So, just saying. You know. I want. I want to touch on Jeremy Pruitt here just in a no, second. No, 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 no. Okay, are you done? Because I got. Not, I got a quick idea for you. Go ahead. All right, we're going to talk about Jeremy Pruitt, but I want us to go through real, maybe quickly, or if you want to spend time on it, let's grade. Oh. Let's grade these coaching hires. Oh, all right. Okay, I want to start. You got the list because I don't. I, I do have the list because you know what? Now that we have a sponsor, and yep. there's some momentum here on this podcast. I, I'm doing some leg work. I'm doing the leggy work ahead oh. of time. So lot, here we go. Right, I go want ahead. you. I want you to maybe give. Let's. You want to just do grades. Uh, Scott Frost at Nebraska. Let's start with him. Uh, we're, are we doing the DeKalb County rating, which is one through one hundred? Uh, you know, or we're we just doing A's, B's, C's, and D's. Yeah, let's just do it how they did it in Towns County. No, no F's, but D's are on. <laughs> Got to keep the kids moving through. You don't want to. You don't want to coach those players twice. You know. Got to I mean? get them. Got to get them star crunches ready. Keep, you want to get th- those kind of students out of the system. All right. Scott I think Frost. Scott Frost, for all concerned, is a a an A minus. He is as good as you could probably get there. I think so too. He's offensive coordinator, which I I, I always find those hires to be good. Uh, he's a Nebraska man. I give that little an job. A. I'll give that Brutal an A. Job. Chip Kelly, UCLA. B plus. I was going to say B plus two. He's back on the West Coast, offensive mind, knows the conference, knows the territory. Sounds like we're going in order here, boy. Chad Chad Morris at Arkansas. Tough job. It is a tough job, but what do you think about the fit and hire? I'm a little bit more in the B minus range because I'm not as certain. I mean, he allegedly turned around SMU. I think they've had one or two winning seasons. It's not been unreal. Yeah, I'm going to give it a B because I think any job at Arkansas, I think every coach they hire, you just give it a B since Petrino. I mean, two and ten, five and seven, seven and five, getting better, not unbelievable. Man, Brett Bielema's wife should not have done that karma tweet. It's not been Dude, good for her since then. She can do whatever she wants, my man. Moving on, Matt Luke at Ole Miss. I, th- I think that's a B or a C, probably a C plus. Uh, situationally, it might be an A, but it, it, I think it's just a C. Who the hell is Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State? <laughs> Where did he come from? I mean, no disrespect to Mr. Moorhead. I, I don't even know if I, I mean I would say that's probably a C as well. Okay, it's starting to get interesting here. Herm Edwards at Arizona State. I'm going to give my grade before you do. That is an F. That guy is a freak show. C minus for sure. I'd say D, I think D, it's I'd an say F. D plus. Yeah, that, that's. Are you hearing about some of the stuff going on over there? Like they they're, no, they're trying to change. They're trying to change the model of how like workflow goes, and they've established these. Herm Edwards is extremely bright. He's passionate. There's a lot of great things that are going on there. Um, 
it would be tough for me. I mean, you've got a cultural problem at Arizona State uh, with the, the just a culture of mediocrity. There's just not a lot of interest out there in, in, in what they call ASU. Um, I'm pull, I'm pulling for them, but I, right. I think but those those Arizona schools are a disaster, man. All right, now 1989. What what were you doing in 1989, Dean? I was winning the Brockett Elementary School Geography B, if you must know. Okay, well that's the last time Herm Edwards coached at a college. Yeah. Okay, that's a problem, I think. So I'm going to give that an F. I, I don't mind the out of the box thinking. I just think you need to support him as much as you can out there. That's a that that that's a tough job. Dan, I, just, I also want to know why Roy Moore is riding a horse on my TV screen right now. I'm going to stay away from that topic. Dan Mullen at Florida. I think that is a solid B plus. I, I think that that is a perfectly adequate hire. I don't think anybody in Athens is scared. Yeah, I give it an A minus. I just think it's a good fit. Offensive guy. Offensive I would guys. Not, I would not give it an A because I don't. I think the problem is you're in there with a big time shark in Kirby, and I mean that in a good way. And and he's going to have to recruit a different level of athlete. I was going to say that. That's my issue with he's the, that. Proven, he's proven himself as a development, a, a developer of talent. And, and I mean, he he spent a lot of time at Mississippi State. Yes, almost 10 years. Willie Taggart, Florida State. Well, I saw his interview with Jamel and um, my dude that used to, yeah, Michael that used to cover the Patriots. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I would say, uh, you know, the likelihood of him winning the national championship is relatively low there. I would say that he's probably a C higher. A couple things. I think that. I think Jameis Winston was sort of a obviously a transcendent on the field talent. Yep. Florida State's got some obvious issues. They couldn't keep a guy like Jimbo Fisher happy. Maybe he's just maybe Jimbo's just one of those guys that likes to be unhappy. Well, we haven't talked about Jimbo yet. Well, I know I'm getting there. I'm teasing. But Florida State, I think, is a school that I think they've lagged behind in terms of innovative thinking, in terms of facilities and all that stuff. Yeah. And obviously Jimbo was unhappy, so he is now at Texas A and M. What do you think about that one? Whenever you, well, by the way, just says about Florida State. Whenever you are not the premier institution in the state, whenever you are not the state school that you just say Florida, yeah, you know, if you're Auburn or Clemson or Mississippi State, Florida State, that is a tougher job every single time, and um, because you don't have this le- legislative support, maybe in some ways that you you don't have the statewide support, et cetera. So, I think Florida State is getting, you know, about right now, about the only SEC school that I think is going to have a harder time in the future globally with their athletic department versus their ACC in-state foe is is South Carolina. And I'm not sure that they're going to be massively weaker than Clemson. I think Florida State's going to get kind of caught up with Miami becoming good. Florida should never really just be bad. I don't. I, I'll say I, I'm not a super big fan of that hire. Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. I think they had to do it. I think it's. I think it's an A minus. I don't think he's unbelievable, but I think they had to do it, and they were planning to do it, and they they pulled it off. LSU didn't, and I think yep. I, I think his likelihood of success is not super high. That is a brutal division. 
Right, and it's in a state now with it seems Texas has only come up back back on the come up in recruiting. Um, in theory, in if theory. Tennessee showed us, and I'm I'm teasing Tennessee now. If you're gonna fire a guy that's doing pretty well, I mean, I think Kevin Sumlin is is a good coach. I think he did a good job. Like you said, there's a lot of natural advantages in Texas, but then those also become disadvantages because there's so much competition for recruiting, and they're in such a tough division. I think he did okay, and it's fine for Texas A&M to want better than that. So you make the you fire the guy, much like Tennessee did with Fulmer. Obviously, it's not the best analogy, but um, but now you've got to you've got if you're going to do that, less miles at LSU is a good example too. Then you got to pivot and make sure you get your guy. It seems like they did, although man, that contract there's just not enough money to pay these players. But whew, seventy five million dollars. Do you mind before we go off the ledge with Tennessee? <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna count. I'm gonna name you the years uh, in which Texas A&M has had ten win seasons, and I'm gonna start from today and move backwards. 2012, 1998, 1994, 1993, 97, 92. I mean, you had a lot of single-digit numbers there with Georgia. Texas A&M doesn't have quite the breadth of success that Georgia has had. I mean, he, this guy will be their one, two, three, fourth coach in 10 years. You had Francione in, in, in 07, Sherman, Sumlin, and now this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, R.C. Slocum, they, I believe they ran him out of there, if Carter Strickland was telling me correctly. Um, I just don't know, man. Okay, before we move on to Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt, you got me a, you got me feeling, I thought we'd do the, the quick hitter thing like you did me uh, last week. All right. All right. I, I know we're probably going to do this again but all right. uh, before Christmas, but I thought I'd get some Christmassy answers from you. Santa Claus is coming to Towns County. That's <laughs> so bad. Daddy, uh, Santa couldn't get his sleigh up the hill. Boy, <laughs> he, boy didn't lock, Santa, he didn't lock the hubs. Boy, boy, Santa flies. What is you talking about? <sighs> My childhood. Okay. Favorite Christmas movie? Any James Bond. <laughs> I watch James Bond movies during Christmas. I'm sorry. Do I have to give you a legitimate Christmas movie? That's an answer, but favorite Christmas theme, favorite movie that has Christmas somewhere in the plot. Well, it's hard not to like um, It's a Wonderful Life. Okay, a little 1946 action. Uh, I think we're going to go back then to the 1940s. <laughs> Sounds like a good time to go to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> I guess that was 43. I just was approved for my credentials for the Rose Bowl. Literally, that's what that ding was in the background. Ding bat. Nice. Favorite Christmas song? All I want for Christmas is you, Mariah Carey. This is or, or, and this is not really a Christmas song, but, well, yeah, I guess it is. Uh, 
a very close number two is Last Christmas by George Michael slash Wham. I believe it's Wham. Wow. I like that. It might that. be Last Christmas. I might take that over. I don't know. And then you've got Four Seasons of Loneliness by the Boys to Men. That's not yeah. a Christmas song, is it? No, bitch, you don't tell me what Christmas I, I, is and isn't. Okay. I mean, I like that song a lot. It got me through some weird I think that and... came out during Christmas. Okay. Yes or no? The song Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney is good. Yes. Okay, because there, there's a that's a dividing line for a lot of people. Well, you know, th- then they're not good people. Okay, yes or no, is it acceptable to re-gift something that a family member gave you and you give to somebody that's okay. not ever that's not related? So there's not gonna the be answer the answer to that is there's one caveat. The answer to that is hell yes. Except when you got it from your aunt who smokes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, I think that's really all I got for you. Just for the record, I do like that Paul McCartney song. I think my favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. So, that's what I got. Are you dead? Is is is, is, is I guess Die Hard is technically a Christmas movie. I but, just like uh, to say that to mix it up. And the other thing is too. I mean, I would, and this this is bizarre, but I consider Star Wars Christmas movies too because they're always on during Christmas. You're an odd guy. Yeah. All right. You know, so the bull, the bull, these Bulldogs played on Christmas once in the Oahu Bowl, and uh, Jim Donnan. Jim Donnan's was that his company. last game? It was, and they won. I tell you what, they wouldn't allow as much like Fanning County. Uh, they would not allow Uga there. They wouldn't let him make the trip, or he couldn't. I believe he was not allowed on the trip. How about this one? Since you okay. brought up Fanning County, if your team mascot. <laughs> Was the rebels like it is at Fannin County, or the right. Indian, or the Indians like it is at Towns County, or Lumpkin mm-hmm. County for you people near Dahlonega? Would you try to change it? Well, rebels could be from Star Wars. It could be the rebels of the United States uh, in 1770s. You know, it doesn't have to be Confederate. So rebels can be a mentality. Totally, UNLV. You think they're Confederates in Nevada? I'm not letting you off the hook, Fannin County, because I remember your, your mascot. Um, <laughs> he dressed of a certain time period. <laughs> I'd say that's been discontinued. Did he make fried chicken as well? Was he a colonel? <laughs> he looked like a colonel. Colonel Rib is crying. You ever seen those? You ever seen those? Those are so good. I don't know why I brought this up, because people are going to be upset about my political correct uh, question. Okay. I mean, look, we're not rebels. I get it. I grew up in the South. I grew up like 10 minutes from Stone Mountain. I totally get it. Oh, but, man, I forgot. You know, like, let me just, I'll be, I'll eat the bullet here. That's fine. I'm not saying you can't be the rebels. You can be the rebels. That's fine. But, you know, we're Americans. We're not Confederates. That's it. Okay, so let's, to ten- let's so keep it moving. On to, ten- on to Tennessee. So. Are you embarrassed of me of me saying that, boy? No, I, I agree. I shouldn't have brought it up. So, Jeremy Pruitt is hired, and I and I understand that there was a lot of media people that uh, obviously applauded the hire. Uh, I think he's known as a recruiter. 
And and it seems like now it, these SEC teams they just want to hire Saban, somebody from Saban. You know, Florida's done it, Texas A&M's now done it, uh, Georgia's done it. Uh, on and on it goes. It's just you know hire a Saban guy. I get it. There's uh-huh. a lot of reasons outsiders might think Jeremy Pruitt's going to be great. I initially though thought that man, this guy, he's got a lot of Lane Kiffin to him, and that I find him to when I from the things that I believed to be true from the time that I covered this man. <laughs> I think he has an immature approach. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that he's like making fart jokes. I'm not saying he's immature in that way. I'm just saying that he can be emotional and he I always used to say that he killed ants with a sledgehammer. Mhm. But the more I think about this that that's who it had to be for Tennessee. You cannot hire you can't they needed Lane Kiffin from 2009. They, that's who they needed now. They needed a Mike Leach type. They need an outside-the-box guy who can A, recruit, and B, get in there and make that just his culture. It's his identity. It's got to be one with Tennessee has to be Jeremy Pruitt now. And I think if anybody can do that, it had to be somebody like Jeremy Pruitt or Lane Kiffin or Mike Leach. They got one of those guys. I, the shine, the, the, oh, my gosh. Oh, man, that hiring process was so bad it was good. I couldn't get enough of it. It was so bad. But at the end of it, they ended up getting a guy that was much better than who they had originally. Well, I don't know that. But I um, think I have my doubts here. I have um, my doubts too because of what I laid out. The guys the guys and has a different approach. Right. Cur- you know well, thing. Kirby's passionate and emotional too. Kirby's an adult. But Kirby, Kirby is understands. An adult. May may I may I rant now? Now you can have the floor. You know, so I, I'm not saying I was the person that raised the, the about $12 million uh, at Coker, but when you're in the room with people and you are as an institution raising a particular dollar amount, you need your people to be there and you need your most visible people, in this case at a, at a SEC school, your head football coach, to be a very good representative to people that you're asking for. Let's just say you're asking for a $1.5 million give from a, a businessman in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Uh, that person's got to take you seriously. And in order to be taken seriously, I think you have to make your grievances, you know, sort of make sense. We saw Jeremy Pruitt pout too much at Georgia. And he went from being this guy that a lot of people liked to people complaining about a lot. Privately, for sure. Well, he was ins- he was insubordinate to his head coach and the athletic. And he director. was insubordinate to the athletic director, and to some degree the president, but definitely the athletic director and the athlete and the and the head coach. And that was allowed because you know, and that's another you know. I say it was allowed. I don't know if it really was or not. That people say, well, I don't give a shit. I just want to win football games. Well, a lot about winning football games is do people take you? Uh, can they? Can they? You know, take what you say to the bank. Do they know that you're not going to, you know, complain and, you know, publicly throw the institution underneath the bus? Do do and and then also too, are you willing to listen, or you know, do you think that your game plan against Georgia Tech is better than the one that worked the previous times with? with the last guy who didn't lose to Georgia Tech at Todd Grantham. Um, you know, the, there's there's a lot going on here. Mainly more than anything else is, I, I hope he's grown up. 
there's a lot of people at Georgia who would say this. I mean, they just say oh, I just really have a big t- big time doubt. I think he could be a coordinator and be successful at the SEC level. I mean, he's proven that. That's that's really not for dispute. I don't think uh, this doesn't. What I'm saying isn't suggesting he's not a good coach, but he's got to lead a program now. A fractured, broken program, broken in more ways than most everyone else. Well, I, here, here's my issue with this hire. I think that Georgia, at the time that Jeremy got there, was the absolute worst situation for somebody like him to be in. That guy, he demands a lot. He's seen the best in Saban. He gets here and he's, yes, but Kirby, go ahead. But he walked into a culture that was about to get unloaded. Right, this culture culminated in people losing their jobs and people having to get new jobs. So obviously, Jeremy walks into that and goes, "This is not what it's like at Alabama or maybe even Florida State when Jimbo was had it rolling." Some so somebody like him, who you're saying is not always a uh, able to keep himself in check, that was at, that was the absolute worst place for him to be because he's going to say, "Why are we riding a bus to?" stay in a hotel the night before a home game. That counts on the 20 hours. Why are we doing stupid shit like that? Why don't we have an indoor practice facility? All of these things are legitimate questions, but you, but I can say with 100% confidence that he did not handle his criticism of that situation appropriately. Going to the media the way that he did, about That's the indoor facility, saying things about Greg McGarity, some of the same things that I've said about Greg McGarity and will continue to, but he was saying that in front of his players, saying that in the office. Saying that were staff members, players, other coaches, assistants could hear him saying things about the athletic director. That's just not the way to handle yourself. Now, I think that somebody like him goes back to Alabama and being with Nick Saban, it's pretty clear that Saban, for the most part, he's he's able to revive coaching careers because there's the right kind of structure there. You're not gonna be you're not gonna be questioning things that, that Jeremy was questioning at Georgia. But now, so okay, so we've established his track record is really good coordinator. When he has a structure, when he has a mentor or a We're really uh, good at Alabama, he was good at Florida sure. State. He had and when he has a manager that that is not in question and he doesn't question, but he's going to Tennessee where they can't even make coaching hires right. No, they 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 fired their athletic director. He has now become the most important person on that campus. Right, and so his manager. But I think people need to put that into you compare. Kirby to Pruitt to Saban to Muschamp to whoever. I mean, Stoops is not the most important person on campus at Kentucky. That's that's Cal. But when you think about Cal and Kirby and Nick and uh, you know Muschamp or whoever at all these institutions, Gus, <clears throat> you're telling me that I mean they have a plan. Most of these guys, yes. and I'm sure I'm sure Jeremy does. I I, I guess I don't know. It seems to me sometimes that his passion should have been directed in better ways. Certainly, but see, that's the best way I would put it. Now, if he and was now, now there's no one. What happens? Like, if you don't want to listen to Claude Felton, you're the defensive coordinator. You're the defensive coordinator. You don't have to listen to Claude Felton. You can do whatever the hell you want to do. Now, you, now, what are you going to do? You're going to run. I mean, Bud Ford's not there for people to you know take out anymore at Tennessee. He's gone. You know, if now now every word you utter matters in a huge way at Tennessee, and um, it's just I, I that's why I have my doubt. Do I do I think he knows a lot more about football than 
you know, most people for sure. But also there's, there's more to this job than that. Now, if Tennessee becomes a runaway success, he needs to be given total credit for it. But Oh, yeah. But again, what I'm establishing is that he has a very proven track record in when things are structured and set forth for him to do his job. Now, what happens at Tennessee? I'm not even going to make up a hypothetical. But what happens when something comes up and he feels he's at a competitive disadvantage because his management is inept, which Tennessee's management has proven itself to be over and over and over and over again? So what is he going to do? How is he going to handle that? What it, I don't know. Uh, we saw right. what Kirby did with the one thing that he wanted gone, which was the Freedom of Information Act. Oh, which God, I, oh hold on. Oh, my God. Which I completely I got an update for you. Which I completely disagree oh with God. him about and you think it's childlike you should not for that, that. You should not for that, that to have happened. Either, oh, give me a second here. But Kirby got that done, period. There wasn't a bunch of crying about it on his end. He just did it. He rallied support. Well, I'm going to keep – so with Pruitt, though, I do think he's an elite recruiter, and here's some good signs. No, I don't think he's an elite recruiter. I've seen elite recruiting. He's very good. I think he's a good recruiter. He's proven himself as a recruiter, as a coordinator. We'll see how he does as a head coach. But you've got to like some of the hires he's made. Will Friend, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Shearer. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't he get Rocker? Rocker. That's a pretty yeah, good staff. So, they're, so they're, they're definitely not hurting on the staff well, side. Here, well, here's where I sometimes say, okay, I know all these things about this guy, and I get a little hesitancy, you know, like, but I don't really know him. But I know who does really know him is Will Friend and Kevin Shearer and Rocker. They worked with the guy. They've seen the same craziness too, and that they feel confident enough to step into that and change their family's address. That's, they do, and in each of those situations, this is an upgrade for that person. That's that. Well, that's a good point. See, now you have hit the nuance button for me. Thank you. Here's the real thing. Everybody gets mad about this 90 days thing when the media talks about it because, hey, nobody cares about the media, and it's really, it's really cool now to hate the media for a lot of reasons that don't need to be mentioned because it mm-hmm. takes us off our scope. My colleague here at, in Lexington at the Courier-Journal, uh, he's currently doing a project where he had a, he's doing something about a policy that every um, college program has to address. I don't want to give away too much. Well, nobody's going to be listening, I don't think, before this comes out. Um, but you know what? I'm not going to give it out because I don't want to blow it for my man in case anybody else might be working on something. But he needed all 14 <laughs> SEC schools to assist him in this. So he made requests to 13 of them. Obviously, Vanderbilt is a private institution. They don't have to give out anything. Mm-hmm. But most of these schools, um, I think 10 of them, got back to him within three days or a week with what he needed. Georgia took the 90 days, business days, so it's like 120-something, to send back one sentence. So most of, some of these schools sent back their complete you know, player's manual, some of them sent, you know, very detailed information about what was being requested. Georgia waited 90 days to write back one sentence. And so that is just so aggravating when you, when you set out in August and you could have this story done. And it's not something that was hinted at. It was not a recruiting advantage. It was not going to reveal information that could help lose to Georgia Tech. It was... <laughs> A very simple ask that we needed help with. It took it took over a hundred days, more than a hundred days, to get back one sentence. And I'm sitting here thinking, would it not be more of a pain in the ass to set the Google Calendar reminder to be like, okay, 
on December the 4th, you must write back to the Courier-Journal. This is set forth in August, I'm sure. You must write them this one sentence in this email to fulfill their request. It's just ridiculous. But I'm sure nobody out there, I'm sure nobody out there listening gives a shit because they're in the playoffs. But it's a 124, 100, excuse me, 128, $132 million organization that cannot respond to media requests. Right. It's just disappointing. And it's, you know, I, I know the people in the media department. They're pretty capable. I mean, if, if it's not up to them, it's not up to the sports information department, then get somebody at the university who can handle the requests. I mean, if we're talking about the university, that's a $1 billion budget with a B. Uh, that's right. plenty of money to you know, handle the public's you know, request for things. Because this is not just the media, bro. This is the entire, you know, anyone at all who is looking to try to get information the from the institution that they, that they pay for. Uh, you know, so I just, but nobody listening to this podcast cares about that. So I understand well, they, I'm they, just going to move it they, on. They, 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 they should. And here's the reasons why. Slippery Baylor, slope. Baylor. Slippery State, slope. Uh, you know, there are, it's, there are, you don't think stuff like that could happen in Georgia? Well, I mean, nobody, it could. Nobody, nobody cares about the media until they need the media. And then it's all of a sudden, you know. Oh, this is great reporting. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, no one wants to hear us complain about how right. difficult it is to do the job. It's that, cool. That's true because the person at McDonald's that you're right. getting the hamburger from doesn't isn't explaining to you that they've got you know that this is their second job and they've got a kid at home. You know, right? So I get it. But hey, I'm going to end it here. We've hit <laughs> we've hit our time, but I have not gotten in my three minutes of SEC basketball. Okay. Conference, Them dogs, boy, you better watch it now. Conference on the rise. How about it? Kentucky's up to fifth, so good. and the yeah. USA Today coaches poll. Uh, they are the you highest. You had to stick USA Today in there, huh? I don't even know what the AP poll is. I'm not allowed to use it. But <laughs> but Florida, Texas A&M, and Tennessee have uh, and Missouri have all yeah. proven themselves as ranked teams. Currently, Alabama, uh, yep. Georgia, there might be one more. Uh, if the S, if the NCAA tournament was tomorrow. The SEC would have quite a few teams in there. It's very impressive what they've done so what, far. That's what the conference season's about. These dogs have got to get past the – probably are going to have to get right on top of 11 wins in the conference. Well, that's the good news and the bad news. Conference, <laughs> the conference yeah. is better. That's the good news. The bad news is the conference is better. So I'll say this. Too. I watched South Carolina play Coastal. There are some teams that are not as good as they were last year in this league, for sure. And I'm getting to South Carolina. Hold on. South Carolina's not. South Carolina's one of them. Okay, so now, whereas Georgia in the past has been able to feast on a down conference, and this is where you get into that argument of, well, the SEC, like, let's have some pride here. Uh, now, uh, Georgia's done some work for once in November and December. That win at Marquette, yeah. a win over St. Mary's. They got an opportunity against UMass uh, to really do some good work. But now I think that 12 wins in the conference is asking a lot. So we'll see how they're able to do in January or February. They, I mean, I don't think they're getting 12 wins. I don't either. Question, yes or no, should your head coach of your basketball team be tweeting back at fans who have a reasonable criticism? Oh, no. Well, Frank, who did you know, that Frank, happen Ma with? Frank Martin got on Twitter the other night. Oh, my God. That so guy. criticized the marketing department. He's upset because they're not selling out uh, their their games. Look, Which, man, by the it's way, December, bro. Right. It's December. I will offer this: Kentucky's attendance is down. I'm there and seeing it. North Carolina's attendance is down. 
I read that today. Uh, so if Kentucky and North Carolina are not selling out, what do you really expect down there in Columbia? So he's critical of the marketing department, and then he also was tweeting back at fans who were negative. So some fans tweeted sort of their response to like, hey, here's why we're not coming to the game. First of all, you know, the beer is cold in the refrigerator and a lot cheaper to stay at home. And the television coverage is okay. You don't got to pay for parking. It's not bad. That's a pretty good baseline for not going to any game, no matter how good the team is. And it's true. South Carolina won the most, they won the most games right in program history two years ago. They went to the final. Sure. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of wins. They went to the They've final. never been to the final four. They went to the final four last year. And I understand why it would be a little frustrating. But again, football school, man. Right. It's just like we're talking about with uh, Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, where sometimes you can feel these things, and maybe there's just, mm, I don't think criticizing your marketing department is ever the best way to go about it. But then fans responded on Twitter with, with reasonable, you know, they lobbied for their reasons for not getting fully on board with this team this year, and Frank Martin responded. So, weird, weird times over there in Columbia. It's all, bro, come on. It's always weird times in Columbia, my friend. <laughs> it's always weird times in Columbia. So, I'm just going to close it with that. I, mean, I, there, I, don't really, right. I don't really know what else there is to say. I mean, you can end that. That's just the truth right there. I feel you, man. It was good talking to you. I'm glad everybody got to waste some more time with us. Merry Christmas uh, there, Fletcher. Although we will see one another, we will hear from one another one more time before Santa comes getting can't, down that pipe. Yeah. Can't wait. Is, is Mrs. Claus ever going to talk to him about his health? Or his philandering? That's a good point. Is yeah, that? I, I, mean, I mean, he's just like a male slut, right? He's just kind of a heavy male slut. <laughs> see, we, when, when, let me ask you this. When does Santa Claus get accused? Well, I was going to say, Mommy, I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. How about this one? Baby, it's cold outside? You can't, Baby, cold outside. That's got some Matt Lauer to it. He, like, shuts the door on her. She, <laughs> he advances on her aggressively. I don't know, man. Man, I just, I don't Christmas know. Christmas is, it's got some aspects to it that they got to change. We can't have some whack job just coming down the chimney. I mean, that's breaking it and entering, my friend. And you're taking my cookies. I worked on those. Okay. We should, we should end this podcast after the thing about tetanus, getting tetanus in Colombia. I didn't say that. Oh well, that's because your shot. That's because get that shot. That's because your shots are up to date. You're from a civilized world. <laughs> uh, yep. I'm from south of Towns County. I'll leave it there. All right, later.